Cody's right here, so. Oh, he topped Whoa. it. Cole topped it. Okay. Go. Yeah. Oh, he shanked it. Oh, look at that line, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, boy, is he on the sink. Welcome to the Bogey Boys podcast. You're joined here by Kevin and Mark, as always, and we've got a special guest, Mr. Andreas Carly. How's things, brother? Hey, guys. Things are good. Um, good. Really good, actually. Busy in a good way. Happy That's days, good. Yeah. Happy days. What have you been up to yourself lately? Uh, just coaching. Um, we're indoors at the moment uh, at our indoor facility up in uh, north of Copenhagen, and um, just got a bunch of players coming through. Um, bunch of juniors and um that we've been working with all winter and um the pros and the national team players are finally going down to southern europe competing so now it's time to see well how we did this winter really yeah, yeah. how much of it translates into better golf is this the beginning of the, the season now then is it from, from this week you've worked all the winter and now yeah, well competition well you got the nord the nordic league tournaments are starting up now so they had two tournaments uh for the swedish golf tour last week and then the uh first two events for the echo tour which are combined the nordic league yeah and uh they finished up yesterday they finished up the first echo tour event and then they have one more and then they're going to come back and they've been like so i got four guys who've been in spain for about a month um so it's just it's i don't know it's it's exciting like we've been working on stuff for four months trying to you know decrease dispersions add some distance improve short putts improve wedges do these different things and then you can kind of i mean it's a different environment standing inside in a simulator or a track man or something hitting like from a yeah. you know like a standard lie all the time no wind everything is normalized into like how does this go how far do i hit it with nothing and how good are they then when they get on grass and get a scorecard in their back pocket and they actually have to deliver how much of this translates from practice to um to tournament golf because that's the whole point right is improving the scores yeah and i've seen a couple of videos on your on your instagram and your social media page and um, what's the setup like in in the indoor facility and what is it a number of coaches working there with a with a whole host of players or is it just a small stable well it's <laughs> it's not it's not really that big of a number of coaches but it's a big stable yeah. um we have what do we have we have two floors um we have probably like six mats where you just hit into a net uh we have one simulator like downstairs we have one simulator then we have two i guess putting greens that also act as chipping greens where all the like the the flooring is all artificial turf so you can chip from that and then we have an upstairs room where there's also another six mats where you can hit into nets. And then there's another trackman simulator and um, we have a small gym as well. So we've got Everything like, you need. we yeah. got what Everything we have, need, what we yeah. need. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I think so. I'd, I'd like if we also had like a putting platform where you could like, kind of like differentiate the slopes. And, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But stuff like that costs money. And um, at the moment that's a little out of our reach, but hopefully okay. at some point we'll get that maybe next, like maybe next winter. The shutdown in in um, Denmark, like a good few months of like no golf at all because of the weather and things. Is that what the need for the facility is? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, it's just too cold outside. It becomes yeah. more like it's. I mean, fair enough. You hit balls outside if you do that every day in 
minus degrees. It's more survival than it's actual practice, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think think it has some advantages being indoors. Not maybe not for the six months that we're indoors, but if it was like three or four months, I think we'd be really good. Like you take people out of competing, you have stuff you want to practice so we can remove the target. You can just coordinate the different movements that you want to coordinate without any without any attention to where the ball's going. Um, I think that can give an advantage. I think we can get a lot of stuff out of the way during the winter when they're not competing. But I still think I think six months is a little much. Yeah. Yeah, it sounds great. I think if we had something like that here where you could go and practice, obviously you can go to a simulator. There's a few new simulator places popping up, but the more just fun for the drink and stuff, there's no serious like institutes where you no. go to practice your chipping and putting and things. But if that actually was around, mm-hmm. it'd be much better than going playing off plugged preferred lies and rain and cold. And Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah but, I mean, that has some sort of value too, but it's not really practice or improvement. It's more like, no. I mean, I guess you could go play for money and you can get something out of it, but I think we have a, I mean, we have a cool environment. Like if you go, we are probably, I'd say we're the lone indoor facility in the Copenhagen area. We have our juniors who are part of our junior academy who come and practice, but there's also multiple other really good players who come and practice, right? So you you can go there and if you go in there in the mornings and if you're lucky, you will likely have three or four European tour players, uh, three or four men's national team players, a couple of junior national team players, all practicing, I guess, next to each other. Not necessarily all like talking and being like social, but they're there. And I mean, what better environment would you find for a um, junior golfer who wants to get really good? If he's standing next to, he's got JP Hansen to his right and he's got Marcus Hedekina to his left. I mean, it's a pretty good spot to be in. Yeah, yeah, I'd say so. Like the people who are at the level you'd like to be at, they're not just on TV. Like they're right there in their flesh and blood. You can listen to how they hit the ball. You can see how they swing. You can see how they go about their business. So, I mean... I've known JB since he was a small junior golfer. Um, he's helping out without knowing he's helping out. Yeah. Cause he's just by being there. I, I don't practice with him or anything, but he comes to our facility and practices and just better players being there. Just, just gets a really, it gives us a very, very good environment. And it's even for the juniors. I don't know if they'll do it at that age, but like even watching how long they stay there, how long they chip, how long they put, it gives you the feel for like, right. That's, I've got a, do longer or I've got to, you know what I mean? I, I can't just say five puts and leaves yeah. sort of thing. No, it's like, what, like, you know, they see, they look at themselves, they think they're pretty good at putting. Then they find out, Oh crap. That's what good putting looks like. Yeah. <laughs> right? Like that's, yeah. it's not that I'm not, you know, like, but I mean, again, I think that's really, really good. Um, I think I hit it pretty far. You look at Nicholas Nagel and you go, okay, that's what hidden far looks like. Mm. So I think it sets mm. the bar higher. I think it, it's they know if that's what they want to do they at least get a pretty good idea of what they need to do definitely we'll um we'll talk more about that as the show goes on obviously appreciate you coming on and, and speaking to us andreas um the the reason we do these podcasts as we said at the beginning it's to inspire a generation and obviously to see what got you into the game and, and your journey so um from that point what what was it that got you into the game and what, what got you started in golf um well my uncle got me started 
my uncle and my cousin. My cousin was a really good golfer, and uh, we lived at like a two-story house where my uncle and my cousin, and my aunt lived underneath, and me and my mom lived upstairs. Um, so they introduced me. I I didn't like it when I started. I thought it was boring. I didn't. I mm-hmm. couldn't do it. I thought it was difficult. I was. I played football um, and I played tennis, uh, got injured in football with my knee, got injured in tennis with my wrist. And I was like, all right. And, and somehow I guess golf got good for me because um, I still, to be really honest, I'm still not a very good team player. And I for sure wasn't a good team player in football, not really about winning or losing, but just effort. Like it would piss me off when I'd have teammates who wasn't putting in the same effort as me. Yeah. And I think that's what really like got me with golf. Well, that was just me, a golf ball and a golf course. And if I wanted to get good, I had all the hours in the day to actually practice and improve myself and see how good I could get. So it was all up to me really. And, um, you yeah, so that's, in, that's how you? I got started. Exactly, you got what you right? put in, I yeah. Was, I, I was fortunate. I was. I ended up at a club called Elsinore Golf Club, which I think is, I think still to this day, is like the club in Denmark that's produced the most playing pros and teaching pros. Um, so there was always good players around. I was fortunate to end up with three other guys who became my best friends. Um, we met at the club. Um and we we got there in the mornings on summer the summer days we'd compete all day just chipping contests like all day right and then yeah, yeah. sun came down parents would pick you up over and over again turned out that when we started playing national tournaments that we were really good um yeah i think my last year as a junior golfer the worst one of us was the seventh ranked kid in denmark and we'd walk wow. up and down each other every day um so we got really good. We all got into the boys' national teams. And later on, I think a couple of us got into the men's national team. And it became like, I still remember, I recall this vividly, like 97 Ryder Cup, Valderrama, Thomas Bjorn, first day never to play, looking at it going, okay, I, I need to experience that. And when I saw that, basically just set everything aside to go, I need to play the Ryder Cup. And basically every decision I made until I was from when I was what, 15, 14, 15 years old till I was 26, maybe. Like every question was, will this get me closer or further away from the Ryder Cup? Every time I had to make some sort of decision like regarding anything in my life, really. Like, yeah, it's, it's amazing parties, go drinking. Like, will it get me closer or further away? Yeah, it's amazing you say that because whenever we speak to people on these on these shows, it's you know you want to play in the Open. We've never really heard anyone say you want to play in the Ryder Cup. So obviously shows was it was Thomas Bjorn your inspiration, and I, I take it obviously being Danish, getting in the Ryder Cup, and you think that's where I want to be. Similar to what we said before about these young guys watching the pros now, they're probably looking up to them, thinking the same thing. It was the first Dane, right? So it just became a big yeah. deal. We'd have yeah. no European Tour winners ever before him, like nothing, yeah. and all of a sudden he's there, and you go like. I want to do that. Not really thinking if it's realistic or not, but that just kind of put me on a journey of without really asking anybody, but just kind of trying to figure out like, how do I do this? Turned out that, you know, like Anders Hansen, Soren Hansen had been to college in America. I think I was a junior golfer when Soren Hansen came home. 
played like one year of amateur golf, completely dominated Denmark. And you saw him with his college golf bag and you go, well, I need to do that then like college golf it is. Right. So what do I need to do to do that? I need to um, graduate high school with a decent grades. So all the school and grades, even though I wasn't like, I didn't really like high school that much. It was just like, all right, just got to bite the bullet, get this done. So I can take my SAT, get to the U S so I can play college golf because that'll get me closer. Right. And it just kind of, I guess it just kind of went hand in hand for a long time. It went like, I got gradually better, better and better and better and better. And also in college got better, um, hit a bit, really big roadblock in my second year in college, um, with again, right. Like trying to get better. You start trying to ask who you think are the smartest coaches like what do i need to do to get better well you need to change your entire golf swing to get better um oh okay then i'll do that tell me like it's gonna be i don't know fifty thousand golf balls all right i'll hit those fifty thousand golf balls if it if it'll make me better and unfortunately for me it didn't it made me a lot worse like i went from i think at my all-time low i could hit like I remember that vividly, Long Beach, California, being paired with Gary Woodland and Davi Vanderwalt, smoking a driver at best 240 yards because I was cutting so hard across it with such an open club face. Yeah. And I was at least 100, I was 100 yards behind these two guys going like, it's just not trending. The right. I, I was full pitching wedge behind them, right? At that time. Yeah. Like, am, I, am I closer to the Ryder Cup right now or am I further away? I felt pretty far away. Um, so, I mean, I think that puts something in you that you go, all right, this is painful. I don't want anybody to experience that, at least not people who put their heart and soul into it. Um, God, I'm fortunate enough that I, you know, like, all of a sudden you're not good enough to be in the national team programs because you can't break 80 all of a sudden. Um, so I had to find another coach, uh, a guy named Henrik Schultz like got me back on track so I could play some golf, but there was a lot of scar tissues. So I ended up doing all right as a professional golfer, won the minority league and had a bunch of top tens and all these things made, like didn't lose money playing, but still felt after four years as a playing pro that, I wasn't getting any closer and then it became meaningless. Um, I have the most respect in the world for the guys that can grind it out for like 15 years. And then yeah. like Richard McAvoy, Richard Blant, like these guys yeah, are just, yeah. Yeah. it's what they do. Like they, yeah. they're golfers and it doesn't matter the level they play on. That's what they do. Um, I couldn't do that. Well, on on the point you made before about obviously when you first were getting those swings and you were trying to completely change your swing, what what year was that around? Was it around the Tiger effect? Because I'm just going back to my own personal experience when I was doing a similar type of thing, trying to improve, and I remember getting videos and my swing was being compared alongside the Garcia and the Tiger Woods and trying to get in the exact same positions yeah. as them. I don't know if that was a, a type of philosophy around a similar time. Yeah, it was like oh four, oh five, I think was around there. Yeah, around same there. year. Maybe oh yeah, three. It, it's around there, like big resistance in the hips and coil your upper body versus your lower body, and like all I got out of like because it felt kind of powerful, but it, <laughs> it didn't give distance. I know that much, not for yeah. me. 
so you know like you do it right and you try and you i mean they're you've got experts around you right like they're the most highly sought after coaches that you can find so you listen you're a good student at least i was a good student i tried to do what i was told but i mean so i think i stopped i think i played my last year of professional golf in 10 and then after that quit um became a waiter started like i didn't know what to do i had a degree from college in america but it wasn't really worth much um didn't really know what to do and a friend of mine asked me if i wanted to try becoming a teaching apprentice um and it felt like the biggest loss in the world like it was like such a defeat being the you know the failed pro who then start teaching but the opposite actually happened because all of a sudden I could get all my like curiosity set like taken care of and all of a sudden I could like go down all these rabbit holes and trying to figure out like how come how come I couldn't figure it out like what was I doing wrong where was all the the advice that I got where did that come from um I was fortunate to be at a club where there was a lot of like a lot of enthusiastic juniors who really like golf. And so that kind of felt like home and you could kind of relate back to what did we do as juniors? What, what do I remember as a junior? What were my good experiences? Trying to pass those on good traditions. Like you, if you're a junior golfer, you'd caddy for the elite players when they play, you do different things to learn. Um, and it just got me, I don't know, you find out, at least I felt that when I was a professional golfer, you, if you knew something or you had something good, like way to spin a golf ball or hit a certain shot, like you kept it to yourself because that was a competitive advantage. And as I got into coaching, I found out that that was almost the opposite. Like there's a hundreds at least of coaches around the world who are more than willing to spend time with you and share their knowledge. And you could just reach out and ask like, Hey, I've, I'm fairly new. Like, I'd like to learn more about this. Is there a chance? Like, oh, yeah, I'll get on a Skype call tonight, right? And that whole, like, community of, I'm not saying all coaches are really helpful, but at least the ones that, a lot of the ones that I bumped into were. Yeah. They wanted you, if you showed ambition, they wanted to help you out and make sure that you got on the right track. And that inspired me as well. So now all of a sudden I've been, guess that's what I've been doing for the last 11 years. And I, I love it. Like I think I said, told you guys earlier, I love golf more than ever. Yeah. Um, yeah. Now that I don't play really. Do you know what you're saying? You were going down these rabbit holes as to what your um, first coaching college was telling you to do. What conclusion did you come to? And also did the next coach that you're seeing, did he have anything to say about the things you were working on as in like, as in what messed you up? No, it wasn't. No, back then it wasn't judgmental. I just wanted to compete. I could care less about how my golf swing looked, how it, like, I just wanted to compete and play well. So like he didn't have, cause I had, you know, the old VCR tapes and they'd put them in and they'd take the, they'd draw lines on the TV screen and all this stuff. That's the lessons. Like they looked really good. Those lessons, right. It seemed like it was like yeah. a high end golf lesson. This guy was out in the middle of nowhere. We're just hitting balls. I never saw my swing, never saw anything. We just went by ball flight and oh, do a little bit more of this. Okay. Oh, that applies pretty well. Okay. That's good. Um, which really, really helped me. Um, I'm not sure it gave me like a really big sense of control over my game. Cause whenever the ball wasn't going the way I wanted to go, like I didn't, I had no idea what to do. I'd just try stuff yeah. out or else I'd book another lesson, right? It's going crooked again. What do I do? 
Yeah, um, yeah. I think when I went down, when I went down, uh, what I was taught, like it came from all kinds of places. It was for sure not evidence-based coaching or technique, um, but it went. Where did I find stuff without calling people out? Um, it was physical trainers who thought that a uh, like standing up anatomically neutral would be the same bent forward. Like that was a big deal, um, which it's not. Uh, it was backwards ball flight loss. So the balls would start on the path and curve away from the face, um, which well, I guess Trackman figured out was opposite. It was, some of it was like on the Golf Channel, like middle of the night, like there'll, there'll be these infomercials. I know some of that was from these like big, like eight DVD sets you can get of like how to swing it way better and hit it better than ever. I found how, out. How about like, them? I couldn't believe it when I saw it. I was like, he got it out of a freaking like infomercial what he told me, right? Um, yeah. <laughs> I'm not like I, I and I honestly don't think that I just think there was a time where I think coaches were doing what they could to the best of their ability. Um, I don't think they knew any better. I, I don't think they're trying to screw people up purposely. Um, but there's there's a dark generation in Danish golf from like around that era who did, did make it. Yeah, but it's not it, it's not always. It's not it's horses for courses, isn't it? It's not like one philosophy doesn't suit every person. No, no, it doesn't. But I mean, the the I mean, the the physics of how a ball flies and how it's hit that applies to everybody. Yeah. Like you cannot swing eleven degrees. Like the tour player who swings eleven degrees across the golf ball, he doesn't exist. Just like the tour player who has a hundred and fifty mile per hour ball speed doesn't exist, and the tour player who bottoms out before the golf ball uh when the ball's on the ground he doesn't exist yeah so there's at least there's a couple of things where you go like this now i know that's like we're talking like big scheme like how to swing a club at what angle and whatever like that for sure there's quite a few ways to do that but i mean there's still some stuff we can go like that bite like by absolute that guy is not making money playing golf um And I would still say, even though there's many ways to swing a club, because I see that thing every, like a lot of times, like they compare all these different millionaires and how they swing it. I would say for every right way there is to swing a golf club, there's at least 100,000 wrong ways. So there's a lot more wrong ways to swing a golf club than there is correct. That doesn't mean that there's not many correct ways, but there's, I mean, you see, go to your local club, you'll see the right side of the bush is filled with all the guys who are not swinging it the right way. Yeah. You're looking at one. <laughs> you're good too. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry guys. Right. No, I can't okay. believe you're still playing then. <laughs> so obviously you, you mentioned there about you've done a bit of research then and you were speaking to a number of different pros and trying to figure out why you were taught the way you were taught, I guess. Um, so what, so what is your philosophy? What do you teach? Like to get it really old school, I teach ball flight. Yeah. I teach the ball to do what it's supposed to do. Um, That's a very, very simple answer. Um, I think I was fortunate that I ended up down a path of 
I started the PGA training, we get like 30 pages of like laws and principles. That wasn't like, after I read that 10 times, I was like, all right, all the answers aren't here. So I had to do something else. Um, stumbled upon this yellow book called The Golfing Machine, which was, yeah. have you guys ever heard of that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 There's a couple, like, there's a couple Bible, in the Northwest right? yeah. who do it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, which made sense to my brain. Like there was like a systematic catalog, like a systematic way of how to build a golf swing. Yeah. And there was different components and you can make things fit, but you had some, um, you had a couple of imperatives, which was a uh, straight plane line, uh, lag pressure and a flat left wrist. I was like, it's probably not a bad place to start. So I would start with that, but it made sense in my brain that somebody actually, instead of just teaching one golf swing, they say there's multiple ways and they would give them different uh, terms of where the trail elbow could be throughout the throughout the downswing, like different types of grips, what they would be called, different ways of holding the club, different planes to swing the club on, um, different ways of moving your feet, different, like all these different things. Well, I was like, there, there's something in here. Um, spent a lot of time with that, um, trying to figure that out reached out to like all these like most of the really smart golfing machine guys like they're 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 getting up there in age like they're in their 70s 80s they're super helpful um then ended up going to a stack and tilt seminar probably 10 years ago uh with andy Plummer and mike bennett uh remember going to that going like okay i'll see what they have but like uh, Pretty sure that's not for me. Um, and I think a lot of it was controversial to start with, but I think a lot of it also probably through my golfing machine lens made sense. Um, and when I then actually practically saw them teach how much they were improving players on the driving range, I was like, this is pretty good. Like as in really, really good. It had some structure to how to make people hit the ball better. Um, it wasn't like a whole golf swing, which I think people think it is, but it's more like it's just a systematic way of coaching. It's just like if you go to the doctor and you have, I don't know, an illness, like he'll tell you to take a bottle of pills and take four of these every day for two weeks and it'll disappear, right? It's not much different than when you go to the range and the client shows up and I've got the slice, right? Oh, Okay, you got the slice. So let me explain to you why it's slicing, and then let me explain to you what to do to make it not slice, and how to practice so the ball doesn't slice. And you have to do this a certain amount of times, and you have to make sure that like these things are in place. And if it does slice, then you know it happened because of this. Okay. Which I thought for for my brain just made sense instead of going, wow, well, you just got to release it more, or you got to whatever, because it's just I don't know, I don't just ask people like if you just do like a questionnaire with 100 people and go what's the release i don't think you'll find the same answer same thing if you ask people what a flip is right so it just becomes these vague terms that my brain couldn't deal with so when when you're talking about the stack and tilt so what you're saying are you incorporating then the stack and tilt with the golf machine and then incorporating them together well i think stack and tilt is born out of the golfing machine so you like use that I think it added structure. Um, I think it added anatomy. I think that was really good. It's good to know, like, what do I actually see on a camera when I'm looking at a golf swing and then compare that to the ball flight. 
And I think it just added a lens because I'm not going to say that that's like, I've learned a lot from Andy Plummer, like without a doubt. I consider him my yeah. main mentor, okay. hands down. But I've learned from a bunch of other guys too. And I don't think if you went and saw Andy and you went and saw me that you'd get the same golf lesson. But me and Andy would appreciate the same things in the golf swing, which I think most people would actually appreciate, which is the weird thing. Like who doesn't like Robert Rock and Justin Rose's golf swings or Charles Schwartzel or Louis Hoopstaste? Like who, who in the world does not like those golf swings? Yeah, of course, I haven't yeah. met a single coach in my life. So you go, oh, you teach this. You're really like, you're doing this. Like we both like this golf swing. So we can't be that far away from each other. We might go about it in a different order, but it can't, we can't be that far off. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So you've got your, your three, so you've got your PGA, you've got your stack and tilt, you've got your golf machine, and then you've got, say, a 16-year-old um, junior golfer who's, who's there. How do, how do you, like, know what to give them and what not to give them? Do you just sort of play it by ear? Are you, like, a, one of them sorts of coaches, or are you, like, start from this and this is what we're doing? No, because that becomes the interesting part, right? Because playing good golf is not just hit like swinging the golf club. Like there's yeah. so many elements into playing good golf. Yeah. So you almost like there's so much, right? Like the swing is part of it. Like it's only a small part. It's also how you manage yourself, how you manage your game, how you manage your targets, your strategy. What do I do after I hit a bad shot? Like how do I react to that? How do I carry myself? There's the equipment, there's your, uh, your physical training, there's your, um, there's your, your, your nutrition. There's like, there can be a million reasons why a player is not playing well. And it would be too simple to just say, well, it's gotta be the swing. Cause I mean, at some point that swing's gonna be pretty good and he's still gonna hit it crooked. And then what, what do you do? Cause nobody hits it straight all the time. Not even no. the most beautiful golf swing in the world hits it straight all the time. So that's a part of it, the golf swing. And when somebody has a problem in their golf swing as a coach, you need to be able to solve it, but that's not coaching. Because there could be like, I'd say like clearly right now, Marcus Helikile, he was, I would say the last three months of last season, we have the stats, he was gaining approximately three strokes from tee to green without knowing what everybody else's stats are. And yes, he played challenge tour courses. That probably puts him within like in that, that those three months, he was probably among the 10 best ball strikers in the world. Yeah. And probably closer to the five best ball strikers in the world. And I would tell you that when he lost his card in 19, I think technically he swung the club better than he did during that time. I still um, think okay. he swung the club really nicely, but I liked his technique better in 19. So how come he's hitting it that much better? Well, it's a bunch of other stuff too. So I don't think it's like, it's always about fixing golf swings, but you still need to like, if somebody has a problem with their golf swing, you still need to be able to help them. Yeah. And talking about Marcus, they were not, at least not make, at least not make them worse. Yeah, yeah. Well, to say talking about Marcus, there we obviously had them on the podcast last week, and you're and you're his swing coach or his, his coach. He obviously in, incorporates the decade into his game as well. Yeah. Is, is that something that you obviously you you work with and you you teach when when you're teaching the, the golf game? Do you use that as philosophy? As, I, as much as I can. Yeah, that's. I think it's. I think it's the only way 
training or practicing your golf swing makes sense too. Like, what are you doing on the driving range? You're trying to make your dispersion of balls as small as possible. And then supply that. What do I do with that dispersion? Yeah. Um, I, yeah, we, I mean, again, I was, I was fortunate. I met, well, I guess I reached out to Scott five, six years ago. I think we were like, I think, I don't even think, was it even called decade back then? I think he had a website called playinglessons.com. He was super helpful to me, which I could pass on to my players. And I think the very first year that the players started using it, I think we, I think the boys shot like four course records that year. Um, I had a girl qualify for the Evian championship, uh, from a small European tour category. We had like a bunch of really good stuff happen. I would say Marcus and probably one more player that I coach, they are the ones who apply it the best because they are totally committed to it. They're not going like, okay, I'm going to aim like three yards left of this flag, but it'd be nice if I pushed it a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> I'd say like a lot of guys that creeps in yeah. where he doesn't seriously doesn't even look at that freaking flag. Yeah. Um, he just knows this is the best spot to hit it every time, totally committed to it every time. Um, so again, I've been fortunate with him that he listens to what I have to say. Yeah. Like and, he and really it's... listens and understands what, like what that means. It's not just knowledge. It's actually understanding and applying. Yeah, and I suppose that just shows how far um, golf has come now as well. When you think about like, you're working on bringing the dispersion in and, and working the, the dispersion tighter, I suppose it's a no. different way of teaching. And I know, I, I know, obviously, Marcus has had an, an unbelievable 12 months with, with his four wins last year. We've seen a lot of Danish champions over these last 12 months as well. Um, obviously, what Emily Pedersen's done as well. And it's just what, yeah. what, do you, what, what do you put that down to? Well, uh, I think it's a mix. I think it's a mix of knowledgeable coaches. Um, I think we're fortunate for such a small country. We actually we have a good community of probably 10 to 15 guys who enjoy bettering themselves and get better, who talk to each other and support each other instead of competing against each other, uh, including our national team coaches. Um, on top of that, we've been fortunate to have some really good generations pass through pass through like the the 98 and 99 generations in Denmark are crazy strong great like really really good um you could tell that there was a lot but i don't think you knew how good they were but when you look back at it those boys and girls have been competing against each other since they were probably 10 years old. And turns out that if you were the best 10 year old in Denmark, you were probably also the close to being the best 10 year old in Europe. And like moving along, those guys have pushed each other. Like the first thing that happened when, um, when Marcus shot 59 is I get a phone call from David Dickmice, who is, uh, runs the women's pro team. So he's Nana and Emily Nicole Buck Larson's coach. He calls me up like as soon as he saw the 59, he goes, do you know how good this is for Danish golf? Now everybody's going to look at that 59 and go, I can do that. Um, I think Osmus Hoegel two months afterwards, like took a horseshoe and shot 60 at an event. The two twins are an unreal. 
Um, yeah. But I'm still not sure if that happens two months afterwards. If Marcus doesn't do it, it might have because mm. they just do. They're just crazy. They're on another level. Good. Um, but they've also they're born in 2001. Like they've competed against the 99 and 98 generations ever since they were small. Um, they've won. Like if, if you look back, it's it's good to look back because this has been coming. Um, they've won the freaking European Boys Championships, the European Girls Championships, European Men's Championships, the Toyota World Junior Championships, the Eisenhower Trophies. All these things has been happening while they were amateurs. So at least some of them should start showing the flag. Lucas Biagod, yeah. J.B. Hansen, Morden Matson, who ended up winning on the European Tour. Those three guys finished second at the Eisenhower Trophy as amateurs. Like at least a couple of them should be making it like making money playing golf, like they were really, really good. So I think, I think that I think having coaches with fairly small egos, trying to better themselves, trying to reach out to experts, getting experts in, getting help from other people, asking their thoughts, just to see how good we like those players can get. Um, like how and, and I think, I think actually a lot of the coaches who are like, successful with players in Denmark are part of the generation that got screwed up now that I think about it. So I think we also have like a little bit of like not bitterness, but like a like a feel of like I don't this cannot happen. Yeah. Like yeah. nobody can like gets to feel this because this it was pretty painful. Yeah. It's amazing that you've just said that because Marcus shot a fifty nine, then Rasmus went out and shot a sixty because when we asked Marcus about um, him winning he was like when I was watching Rasmus and, and Nikolai win he's like I just feel like it was normal for a Danish person to win and it just felt really normal for me to go out and win yeah. so it's just like a knock on effect yeah. of, which, like growing everyone yeah yeah, for sure I can't wait to see what Marcus success does to our junior academy just in general um, because I mean there's quite a few guys who can compete with Marcus in that junior academy and they I'd say he wins more than he loses, but he doesn't win all the time. And there's yeah. a couple of boys who are going like, shit, I'm that good. Apparently I'm that good. Yeah. Better than I thought. And it's already starting to show up. Like we have the first 19 year old. He, Sebastian won on the Equids for yesterday. Um, he took Marcus's money when they had a national team camp down at Ras Al Kaima a month and a half ago. Like he beat him. Do you think this is just the start then? Right. So Obviously, what we've seen, what we what we've seen in twenty twenty one with the, so. all the wins, I, I, yeah. I, I, well, yeah, and well, it's probably gonna, you know, like there's like a, you know, you gotta like turn pro, probably make it through the Nordic League, the Challenge Tour, then the European Tour. Where you gotta feel accustomed and then win. But I think I'm not gonna say everybody's gonna. Well, the Twins are gonna win a boatload. They're nuts uh, when they're good. I don't. I think they can beat everybody in the world. Like I can see them win okay. every tournament in the world when they're on their game. It doesn't matter if it's the Masters, the Open, the U.S. Open, whatever. If they're playing their best, I don't. I think they're unbeatable because um, they're also fearless. Um, like the shots Nikolai hit down at Rasul Kaima were unreal in that last round, right? Like yeah, that's the stuff yeah. they do that yeah. they've always done, right? And, yeah. and, and Rasmus is just as good. He's just right now, like not hasn't like he hasn't won like within the first four events, right? But he's just as good. Yeah, I think a lot of the what happened was that probably three years ago, 
the players that were really good did one or two things. Either they went to college in America or they turned pro. And there's probably another five or six guys who are in college in America who hasn't turned pro yet. So I think there will be more Danes on the European tour than there is right now, even though I think this year's a record, like the amount of Danes on the European tour. Yeah. Yeah. Which I guess improves the odds of a Danish winner. Like the more people you have in the field, the better the chances are that one of them's gonna win. But I'm not going to guarantee that like all of a sudden these guys come from college and win within two years. Cause I've, it takes a little while. Like they're pretty good on the DP world tour. Yeah. But we've seen it. We've seen it more than ever. Now the, the lads coming out of the, the college system, the more than they're ready to win, you know what I mean? Majors as well. You've got to look at, only got to look on the PGA. Yeah. So Mori Cower, obviously John Ram was out the system. Victor Hovland, Scotty Scheffler's just won, you know, this yeah. generation of college guys who are just, yeah. They're not, they're not just working their way a couple of years through Corn Ferry and, and doing it that way. They're going straight to the PGA Tour and beating the, the best players in the world, aren't they? Yeah. And I, without stepping on people's toes, I would be, I'd be interested in your podcast. Like, that would be a good question. If you get some of the, like, older DP World Tour guys that are in their 40s, ask them how much longer they think they have on tour. Because yeah. there's a huge separation between, like, ability of the young ones coming out now and the ones that's that are in their late 30s early 40s who are sticking around and like outsmarting the course because i mean i stood at the first european tour event i've ever been to was the one in Himalayan with marcus because he got a wild card for it and he found like a groove and all of a sudden he was hitting drivers like he was swinging at like 124 and he was getting like I forgot the ball speeds, but they were carrying 275 meters in like damp, like coldish air. So they were carrying, was that 305, 310? Yeah. And all of a sudden, like this older European tour guy behind him, I won't mention names, starts looking over and goes, like, Hey, can you chip? <laughs> like, yeah, I can chip. What do you, what do you mean? Right. Because yeah. he was flying this thing 50, probably uh, not 50, but 40 meters past him. They, they were loud. And Marcus isn't, he's fairly long. He's longer than average, but he's not Nikolai Hoyko long. He's not Nicholas Nagel long. He's not like there's other, like he's not Lucas Biago long. Like yeah. there's so many who just pound it. And that's just the Danes. Like in general, they're just coming out of the woods everywhere, hitting it like crazy speeds. And I think, like, I think that's a huge competitive advantage. Yeah, million percent. Yeah, and definitely, and obviously, I know we've we've spoken about obviously the the tours and the wins, but you're seeing now more than ever. And I think we've probably covered this in what you've said, but the scoring as well. Like I know, just in in the UK, when we look at the Euro Pro Tour and and the scoring there, twenty four, twenty five under winning every week, fifty nines on that tour. We seen last yeah. year on the Challenge Tour, those are fifty eight. You know, it, it again. Yeah. You just put that down to the 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 way coaching's changed and the way technology's advanced and and the time and effort they're putting in as to why the scoring's gone so low, especially over the last yeah. let's say probably six yeah, five or sure. six years. Yeah, for sure. Like we have we just know from the stats, right, that hitting it far is a huge competitive advantage. Yeah, like it's really really important to be able to carry all these different things. And um, like we have at our indoor facility, we have a huge whiteboard where there's just like a, like Trackman has this thing called hit it, which is basically long driving. Um, we have that thing set up. Everybody posts their name and their score and like how far they've hit their longest drive. And we have a leaderboard and 
it's a daily thing. Like they're pounding it. What do I need to do to hit it faster, to hit it further? What do I need to do? What do I need to do with my gym work? How's my sleep looking on my whoop watch? Like some of them will wristband. They'll go like, dude, I'm only, I only got 50% recovery today. I'm not doing long drive. Like I need to be ready when I'm going to crush these things, right? Like they're prioritizing their stuff. So they're on top of their game. They know how to create speed. They got physical trainers who help them with their explosiveness, to help them with their mobility, to do all these things. So at least they can max out their potential. Yeah. On top of that, you have the equipment, you have the launch monitors to make sure that the ball's hit in the correct way so it can go the furthest. Uh, I mean, it's, yeah, it's just, it's, it's maxing it's, out. Now it just yeah, becomes yeah. like who's more athletic, like who is <laughs> actually faster by from birth. Yeah. It's mad as well that you're, you're doing your dispersion. If you wanted to do your dispersion back when, you'd have to go and like look where your balls were and count them up. But now you can just look at a, a screen, can't you? So it gets a little bit easier. <laughs> yeah, it's fair. Yeah, but you know what? That's actually pretty cool as well, right? So you got at um, Oklahoma State University, which is pretty much the powerhouse, right? And yeah, College yeah. Golf in America. One of the boys from our junior academy placed there. Yeah, I went and visited him in Stillwater two years ago they actually have their own driving range where they bring their own shack bag and they hit their golf balls and then they have to go pick them up themselves. And part of picking them up is actually paying attention to where are they actually lying compared to each other. So I still think that has value too. I just, when you're hitting into a net, it doesn't really make sense to bring your own balls. Yeah. It's good that you can take this type of stuff onto the range now, can't you? Obviously, you've got to look at Bryce and what he's doing every time he's got the the different the different monitors and he's he's given it a good whack and you can see exactly what it's doing, can't you? <laughs> yeah, 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 for sure. Just before we we finish, just any anything else that you wanted to add in? Like I said, I think it's it's fun to look back at like because you don't know how good these players are until they get good. Like you don't you know you look at Marcus and go, well he's the best one at the junior academy. That's pretty good. He's better than most. Then he's like 27th in the world in the amateur rankings. That's pretty good. It makes it through the Nordic League. That's pretty good. And then all of a sudden, like, it's like you don't know how good good is until you go, oh, shit, now he's top 100 in the world. And he's on the DP World Tour. That's, I know that's good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But the same thing with all the players. You don't. You don't really. I, at least I don't. I don't. You. You can see potential, but you don't really know how good they are until you. Like it takes a while. It's taken yeah. seven years to figure out that oh, he's this good. Well, obviously, with the, with your wealth of knowledge and obviously everything we've spoke about on on the podcast today, and, and we said at the very beginning, obviously the the idea is to get the youth in the golf game to try and listen to these podcasts and take take a lot from it i'm sure they will on this podcast as well what advice if you were speaking directly to somebody who hasn't got access to you what advice would you give them what are the key important things as a young amateur wanting to try and and make it to the top level in golf i think well now it becomes pretty like spiritual right but i think actually the most important thing that a junior golfer should ask themselves is why do i do this um, like what's meaningful to me? And that can be a tough question, uh, at least to answer. So there's like some lead questions. Like if I look back, if, if, if a junior golfer looks back and goes like, what's the biggest kick I get out of golf? Um, cause there could again be multiple answers and there's not a wrong answer, but remember the answer to that question. Is it because I enjoy improving my technique? Is it because I enjoy competing? Is it because I enjoy the social aspect? 
um, like make sure you nurture that part as much as you possibly can, because that's the part that'll like make it all make sense to you. Why am I doing this? And if you do that, like, and then, and, and, and stick with that, that doesn't mean everything has to be a social activity. If it's the social part that, that drives you or everything doesn't have to be a competition, but make sure why you start it in the first place, because then you won't get caught up in somebody else's preferences. You won't get caught up in, I was inspired by him and he, the competition really drives him. So it needs to drive me as well because that will give an empty feeling at the end. And if you're going to mm. get good, you're going to have to spend 30 to 40 hours a week doing this. Like it's got to have to be the first thing you think about when you wake up in the morning. It's the last thing you think about when you go to bed. So it's a lot of hours of your life you're going to spend. So it has to be like, it better be meaningful. Like don't do it for anybody else. Don't do it for the recognition unless that's what drives you is the recognition. If that's not what drives you, don't do it for the recognition. Don't do it because you think people think better of you because you're really competent. Don't think about, don't do it because you think your parents like you more. Don't like, do like it's going to be at some point, it's going to be you and a golf ball all by yourself. And that needs to be really meaningful. And if it's not, probably don't spend 30 to 40 hours, then probably just go enjoy it with your friends and have fun with it. But don't like, don't sacrifice all this stuff for something that's not really that meaningful to you, I would say. Like, I think that's more important than anything. The great message, yeah. That's a good answer that, yeah. The best I, say, I, I, watched an, um, I watched an interview that you've done on a podcast. I don't know if this is still the same now, but... I've seen that the legal drinking age in Denmark is 16. Is that true? That's correct. It's amazing that the junior golfers are even making it, making it past <laughs> that age. We, as soon as we got to 18, we were gone. <laughs> <laughs> and we were drinking it. We were drinking, we we drinking at 16 when no one was looking as well. <laughs> yeah, you can lower that one down to 13 in Denmark. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> that it? Seriously. That might be the that might be the answer, isn't it? And my my oldest 18. is twelve right now, and as I say that, my oldest <laughs> oh. is twelve years old. Now oh, no. I think of it, that's not. <laughs> but yes, that might be the answer, correct. though, mightn't it? Like, like, drop it down, so then they try it when they're even they're too young to go and do anything, and then realize it's no good, and then you've got them. Then whereas Focus. when you get to sixteen, you yeah. can half go to the pubs and that. It's a nightmare. <laughs> yeah. Again, I don't, I don't, I don't mind if the players that I coach go out for a couple of beers, as long as it's not tournament season. And they do that on a Friday or Saturday night. Like, enjoy yourself, be young, just like be careful, right? But like, again, I mean, I get pretty pissed if we spend again 30, 40 hours a week trying to get as good as we can, and they show up with a hangover. Like that's yeah. like for yeah. practice. That's probably a bad look. Yeah, it takes yeah, the piss, doesn't it? Yeah, I think so. Then it may, that makes it meaningless for me. Yeah, exactly, of course. Yeah. yeah, it's a waste of your time, isn't it? it? What's what's the future look like then? What what are the plans for the future? Obviously, I know you say you've got you, you've got your stable there and everything. Uh, everything's looking good yeah. on the, with Marcus. And obviously, what are the players have you got that are coming through the ranks and 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 you've got um, we, can, we can keep our eyes on. We've got. I think he's going to be pretty incredible. A kid named Sebastian Friedrichs, and I think he's freaking. I think he's awesome. Uh, yeah. He's actually best friends with the twins. He's a year younger. Um, 
He won yesterday in the Nordic League, uh, his first pro win. He's 19 years old. He's won pretty much everything there is to win as an amateur, at least like the Portuguese AM and Toyota World Juniors and the European Young Masters and can go low. I'd look out for him. Um, there's plenty. Like there's, I could mention probably, honestly, in like the kids I coach, I could probably mention 30 who I think has potential to be really good. Like, I don't know wow. if they become good or not, but I think they have potential. It's um, exci- exciting not all just listening to you, yeah. Probably not, well, all 30 are probably not going to make it. I know the odds, but yeah. like, there's 30 who has potential. Um, I'm going to keep doing my day-to-day thing because they just kind of like keep coming in at the bottom and you help them out as much as you possibly can and see if they can like, how good can we get while still enjoying it? Um, on top of that, I'm actually I'm actually flying to England tomorrow. Um, from Thursday to Tuesday, I'm doing uh, some things with a coach named Hugh Ma, uh, who's become a really good friend. I'm helping out his coach mastery program is called. He does like this coaching thing for coaches. Um, and then we're doing a seminar Monday and Tuesday in England. Where else? Um, uh, it's crap. It's like an hour northwest of uh heathrow airport cut cotswolds cotswolds yeah. yeah we were down there a few weeks ago wait is it nice I've never, yes it's it's lovely. Is lovely yeah really nice yeah oh fun i haven't i haven't been there so i'm gonna we're gonna do that i'm excited about that um as you can probably tell i really enjoy talking about golf yeah so yeah i could get i get to do that for a couple of days um and uh, try to, I guess, inspire other coaches. I think that's super meaningful for me because, again, if we can, like, I mean, I'm not going to try and get people to do what I do because this is me and that's them. But at least if I can help people in some way, what better is there to help the coaches because they're in contact with hundreds of students and then that can get spread out. And if we can just improve that, then I feel it's worth it. So um, doing that, excited about that, super nervous about it really, because then all of a sudden you have to like really like document what you do and all this stuff. Yeah. But that's also a good exercise because then you actually have to think about what you do um, and make it apl- applicable, um, which is what I was missing from my coaches. So I think that's, uh, I think it's fun. Um, it's something I started doing a year or two ago and um, never thought I'd do it. I never thought I'd see that much of the world and meet that many people from just coaching golf, but it's, 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 it's pretty fun. That's great. And this share, share best practice is only going to be good for the, for the growth of the game, isn't it? I think so. There's at least like, I think there's 12 English coaches attending. So, um, We'll mm-hmm. see. Maybe they think I'm full of shit. Uh, who knows? <laughs> <laughs> well, we don't. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> but as far as, um, like, obviously you're going to England tomorrow and you're doing your thing. As far as the future for yourself, is that a rather cup yeah. dream well gone? Are you going to try and get that through, my, live that well, by, cur- well, by curiously? Well, there's now there's a new goal, right? Like, it, yeah. it's actually not... It'd be pretty freaking cool at one point getting a player from the junior academy to the Ryder Cup. Um, yeah, that would safe. be really cool. It's not. It's not necessarily a goal. Um, the actual goal, and it's a deal I cut with every single player that I coach, is that if they make it to the Masters, 
I get to caddy in the par three contest and put on the the bib, like yeah. the whole white jumpsuit. Yeah. That's like my main goal in in my coaching career, like without a doubt. Yeah, and it's a cool one, isn't it? I, I had a player who was in the quarterfinals of the British Am. Was it last year? The two years ago, and I was like, "This is kind of close. Like, yeah, it's yeah. like <laughs> he needs to win three more matches, and we're going to the Masters, right?" <laughs> and of course, then he lost like seven and six, and I was like, oh, "I don't know what I do if I actually get there." Like, I've like then I'm like, "Now what?" No, it's an, it's but definitely it's, on my bucket list. Kevin's Kevin's being, but not for me. Yeah, I'm not going unless I'm coaching a player there. Yeah, like I'm yeah. not going. It's just my. It's just become my little. I don't know, sadistic rule. Well, by this, um, by the, good, by though, by yeah, the sounds, you'll get yeah. it as well. You will get a million percent. I was going to say by the sounds of things, it's not going to be long. You don't know, so it's again, it becomes you know, you get these dreams and all these stuff, and then you basically go back to like, how do we get there? And it's not any different than from Marcus says or does. It's day by day, shot by shot, plan out your stuff, do your very best every time. And if you do that, like, what else can you do? Also, yeah. as a coach, like, yeah, how, what, what else can you do? Like, you can sleep well at night, you can look at yourself in the mirror and say, you know what, I did as good as I could. Um, probably never had a perfect day. So you try to learn from your mistakes, and then you try to improve. That's it, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, look, mate, we um, really appreciate you coming on and obviously sharing your thoughts and, and talking golf, as you do. We love talking about it. We were actually, when you were talking about Ryder Cup there, we just recorded our, our weekly podcast and we were saying it's looking like for the 2023 Ryder Cup, it's going to be um, Danes against the um, against America, the way it's going. So you never know. You might get there next year. I think a good block, a good bet is that there's going to be at least a set of twins on that team. Oh, yeah. 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 And Marcus. Who knows? Who knows? Perfect. Well, look, we appreciate we appreciate you taking the time speaking to us. We really do. Um, and I would say we'll we'll keep in touch. We'll be keeping an eye on on your players. And to say, um, I'm sure a lot of people take a lot from this episode. So again, thank you very much for coming on. Cheers, brother. Oh, thank you for having me. It was a fun. It was fun. Yeah, I'm glad you enjoyed enjoyed it. it. Yeah, us too. Take care. We'll catch you guys. Stay in touch. All right. We will do that. Bye, 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 bye. bye. Say that, mate. Thank you.